0: Welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation, If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Hello, welcome. Th- welcome, welcome. I'm so thankful you are joining me for this episode. Oh man, today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined by my friend, a fellow podcast host, and writer, Debbie Abraham, to discuss women and work, motherhood, and capitalism. This is such a great conversation, you guys, and Debbie is such a wise thinker on topics like this. So I couldn't be more excited to be bringing her. Um, To you on this conversation, some of you may know that last year, from July to December, I guest-hosted alongside Devi on her podcast, Where Do We Go From Here, while I was filling in for Jess um, while she was out on maternity leave, and Devi just, she taught me the ins and outs of podcasting, of interviewing 101. She believed in me when my tenure was up there, and I said I wasn't done with this medium yet. And wanted to launch this podcast. So I'd invite you to go listen to our episodes we did together last year on topics ranging from consent to abortion to therapy to female pleasure and more. I'll link to those in the show notes, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let me introduce Debbie for those of you who may not know her yet. Debbie Abraham is a writer, thinker, and co host of the Where Do We Go From Here podcast, which invites listeners to untangle sex, self, and community for a new generation of Christians and to leave behind purity culture and save what matters. Her writing has been featured in Religion News Service, Sojourners, and ABC Every Day. She also teaches writing workshops in Melbourne. Debbie has a bachelor's degree in journalism and history and loves reading, cooking, and gardening. You can find her in the evenings watching clips of Stephen Colbert on YouTube and eating dark chocolate. She and her husband live in Melbourne, Australia with their three sons. Now, let's get into the show. Well, Debbie, I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. Um, It is such a joy for me to get to talk to you again, and get to be recording with you again.
1: Same. I'm so, so excited. So excited.
0: I, for those who uh, who don't know, I um, was a guest co-host on Debbie's podcast, Where Do We Go From Here, Debbie and Jess, uh, while Jess was out on maternity leave. And so uh, we did that from July to December of 2022. And then at the end of that, you know, Jess was ready to come back. I was like, oh, I'm so in love with this medium. I'm not done with it yet. And, and Debbie was so pivotal and encouraging in, um, helping me like set up and teaching me how to do things and just giving me words of affirmation. So this feels a little bit full circle and I'm really happy to be having this conversation. Well,
1: I love it, and I love that you have kept doing it because I think you have so much to give and so much to say that's really, really valuable to people. So,
0: well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. So, um, maybe let's tell the for those who don't know the reason that we're talking about this is you have recently started a, a series on your Instagram. Uh, you started with your stories and and a, a series of posts and writing and stuff. Um, maybe if they didn't see about the event at your, your church that stirred up the topic, um, tell about that. And then what did you find so like interesting and important that it got you to start talking about it more um, in this sphere?
1: Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to talking about this today because I wrote like two posts about it and then I stopped and I really <laughs> want to get back to it because I need to finish. You know, when something's unfinished, it's just yeah. bothers and <laughs> nags. And so, yeah. So our church, I've been at my church since 2019. And so of course, 2020 to 20. 20- 2020 and 2021, Melbourne had the longest lockdown in the whole world. Um, so we were barely in church those two years. Mm-hmm. But from the time I've been at my church, I, I think there was one total women's event. There was no women's ministry in contrast to the men's ministry, which there was something like every couple of months for the dudes. Mm. So I was like, this is a fascinating church environment where there's no women's (laughs) ministry, but there's lots of stuff for men. I've never been in a church like that before. In fact, it's usually
0: the inverse of that.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think that goes to some unique demographics, both of our church and Mm. in Australia, but I think really our church, our church has a lot of women working. In fact, I would say stay at home moms. There's probably just a handful of us okay. who who are mostly at home or not even part-time working. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a huge retired congregation, um, Part of our congregation is retired. And so mm. there's a lot of guys with a lot of time on their hands um, to do men's Never ministry good. type things. <laughs> yeah. And they're wonderful. I, yeah. I love them. They're fantastic. So our women there, there's there's some women who have started a women's ministry this year. And the first event that they ran, well, it was just called Women Work and Faith. That's what it was called. So I Women assume- Work and Faith. Yes. So okay. I assumed like, how do you be a Christian in the workplace? That's kind mm-hmm. of what I thought the title meant. And then when we, cause they asked me to be on a panel discussing kind of um, your life and your work story. Um, mm-hmm. But then when we sat down to have like a planning meeting, and they told us what they were talking about. I was like, what is happening? Because they were talking <laughs> about inequities between women and men in mm-hmm. the workplace. So the two women who were presenting on it Both have PhDs. They're researchers. um, And they have researched uh, the issues preventing women from fully being in the workplace and the barriers to advancing in the workplace. Mm. So the presentation, I mean, the, the parts that really stood out to me was this pie chart on um, paid and unpaid work, and men and women were directly inverse of each other. <laughs> so in a, these are Australian statistics, so sure. it could be different in the United States. So like 60% of women's time was in uh, unpaid work, 30-something percent was in paid work. Men were the direct inverse, right? Uh, yeah. And then, you know, you look at that and you suddenly, all of your life suddenly makes sense. Not all of your life, mm-hmm. but this particular stage of my life was like, oh, this explains a lot about certain frustrations in my life. So I yeah. saw,
0: I saw you mention that on your Instagram and I was recently doing um, uh, the Jen Hatmakers Me course that she did with Celeste Holbrook about oh, sex. Oh yes. um, And on it, Celeste said, I'm, I wrote it down so I could quote it right. She said, in most heterosexually partnered homes, there is an unfair work dynamic. Women in these partnerships tend to carry the larger burden of invisible work. Who remembers exactly what toilet paper to buy? What each kid wants for their birthday? How to emotionally regulate the household? This is also called kin keeping. Usually that's the women. And so sometimes when when I first saw your stories and stuff and was seeing unpaid work, I was thinking like cleaning, cooking, driving, and those things are too, um, they can be, but yeah. But even the the invisible, not just unpaid, but the invisible aspect I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, th- I think it's it's not always so straightforward because I think like when I think about my husband and I, my husband sees the invisible work of cleaning way more mm-hmm. than I do. And he probably in the, in the duration of our marriage has spent more time. Like if we were to total the time that I have spent cleaning and the time that he has spent cleaning, mm-hmm. he has spent way more time cleaning than me. Yeah. Right. And that's because of the way we're naturally wired. And because I just kind of go like, I'm not going to do it. Like I am not gonna. Kill myself to do that, yeah, right. Yeah. But I think where where it really changes is sort of the constant awareness that I have in my mind of like, when is the last time our children ate? Yeah, and when is the next meltdown coming because somebody <laughs> hasn't had enough food?
0: Yeah, right. Like that. that this, <laughs> she was referring also to like this kid doesn't like this brand of chicken nuggets, right. and I sure. know that I know the brand that they will eat and the one that they know. This kid likes only this. Snuggy at nap time or whatever.
1: And yeah, usually if
0: if especially if mom is at home during the day and dad is not, of course mom is going to know those things more readily.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you have anyway, an attunement. Yeah. There's an attunement that you have to your children, even mm-hmm. if your partner might have an attunement that is different. So there are things my husband would pick up on that's mm-hmm. different. But all that, all that to say, I think yeah. what, I, what I'm trying to get at is even in partnerships where you have a guy who is fully all in- Mm -hmm. And I I would say that's what I have Mm -hmm. Um, by the nature of the setup that we have, where he is still the breadwinner. And I'm grateful for that. Um, And I have been mostly at home with our children and I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Um, There are still, there are still pain points in that. And it's still a very complicated thing to work out in the partnership. And then if you draw it out, I guess, to the broader community, it's, it's also complicated, but I want to say, you know, you said heterosexual, mm. I have always been so curious. How does a lesbian couple work this out mm. or how do two gay men work this out in a, in a, in a marry in a, in a context where there's children in particular, mm. Kelly. So I, I'm hoping you do an episode about that. Cause I would oh. be so curious yeah. to hear, um, you know, just to hear to like about. someone like Candace, Candace mm-hmm. Supernat and her partner to just be like, how do you guys do this? And how That's is it really interesting?" heterosexual couples? But
0: yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So, so you had the, um, the conference at church, it sort of got your, your yes. wheels spinning, you're, you're kind of buzzing about it. You took it to your Instagram stories and were sharing some clips and stuff. And by the way, you, uh, did make a highlight on your Instagram profile. So for anybody listening, I'll link to that. Um, and then you decided to sort of okay, let's explore this deeper. You introduced the topic of women and work with three foundational aspects of the conversation that you wanted to sort of yeah. set forward as like the ground rules. Can you ta- can you share about those and and maybe expound on each one a little bit?
1: Yeah, um, remind me what they are. So I remember yes. that privilege. Privilege was one of them. I don't have Instagram on my phone right now. Otherwise, I would no have worries. pulled it up myself.
0: Um, so is, I remember privilege. Um, yeah. Work is paid and unpaid. Right. Privilege is real. And then the last one was worldview. And I'll just World hopefully get your, your memory jogged. Yeah.
1: Yes. No, I, okay. So work is paid and unpaid. That is the idea that if we're going to talk about work, we have to talk about all of it. So this idea that only certain people work, mm-hmm. it's not true. Everybody is working, even if you are maybe a person with chronic illness or disability like everybody is working in some way and contributing to our society there are very mm. few people i yeah i would say who don't, don't fit in that category and I so that. i think it's really important when you approach the conversation about work that it's not just about work that gets a pay slip at the end or that is taxed. Mm. Um, it's it's work. It's all of it, right? Yes. So that's one important thing. I think the second thing is the 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 conversation around privilege. So one of the things that happened at our church event is after the women did their presentation, which was, I would say a very secular look at, at workplace mm-hmm. issues for women in Hold church. Hold on real quick.
0: It's interesting yeah. that you say that because one of my first thoughts was, I'm so glad this is happening in the church. Of course we should be on the forefront of this. This is our domain. I love, yeah. even even if, the, if it was more, less from a spiritual aspect and more just sort of uh, facts and study and data and that sort of thing, I loved that it was happening in your church.
1: Yeah, I do, and I do too. And yeah, I think it should awesome. be happening in our churches uh, because I think for the basic reason that it named the reality that the majority of the women in our church work. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when we have a women's event, it needs to address that reality. Mm. Yeah, as opposed to just kind of holding up a, what it, does it mean to be a woman? The the church before that I was in, uh, which was an X29 church, where interestingly, even there, the majority of women worked because that's Australian context, mm-hmm. right? Or at least we're working part time. And all the women's events were more related to sort of Bible study or the women's yeah. retreat was focused on God's good design for women. You know exactly where that I, went, I know. you know. yes you do Um,
0: so the second
1: so privilege I think the reason so one of the things that came up after their presentation is somebody kind of commented and just said like as a woman I've always been able to do whatever I wanted Um, and I chose to stay at home and there's so much importance and value in the family life and daddy daddy and all this stuff and so when I started what I said as a panelist Mm -hmm. I just said I said you know the ability to stay at home is an economic privilege, and not everybody gets to have that choice. Not all choices are equal, not everybody gets the same choice. Yeah. And so, even and And because that was something that God had to literally take out of my my clenched fists, mm. because because I was I went into marriage and motherhood with this idea that this is the best way. This is the only way, and this is this is the way you ensure a secure marriage and a secure family. Ah. This is how everybody gets healthy and happy long term, right? Yeah. Um, and I was in a context where, I mean, I was in Geneva where most women were there to work Mm -hmm. Um, if they were, you know, if they, or they were married to someone who was there for work. And, and I did not have an environment that was like, you're a stay at home mom. You're amazing. It was not like that at all. And so I felt was it so, sort of the
0: opposite, or was it? It just was, mutual? yeah,
1: it was very much the opposite. It was this sense of like, you know, you've wasted your potential mm-hmm. um, by not by not working, which that has its own issues too. Um, yeah. But I think for me, it took me so long to realize that it cost my family absolutely nothing financially for me not to work,
0: mm. and
1: that is an enormous privilege. Um, wow. And so yeah. I. I, I think the, the thing that I want women who are staying at home to realize, um, like myself, is uh-huh. that it's a privilege to get to stay at home. And in the sense mm-hmm. of not everybody gets to have that choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-
0: I, this that brings up a, a, a little t- side tangent. I want to ask how how does does Australia have like universal childcare? Is childcare no. as expensive there as it is? It's here? expensive.
1: Okay, it is very. So expensive. I was going to say, yeah.
0: there's times that I you know so many women I've heard say I would pay more to put my kids in childcare and go yes. to work than I would make. So I didn't know
1: if that was asked. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. It's probably not as expensive here, but it is definitely in that direction. Yes. Okay. And then, yeah, the final one is this idea of worldview. Because for me, my faith is, does play a part here. Mm -hmm. And so even though it is a privilege for me to stay at home uh, with my kids, and I'm certainly not the only woman... like it's not just Christian women who stay at home with their kids, like to right. be very clear. Yeah. Um, but there is something about my faith that does inform that decision. And that is that it, there is value in, um, in, in humble work and in, in caring work. And the reality is that some of that is, um, cannot be taken away from us whether that's caring for elderly parents, caring for the disabled, caring for the chronically ill. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? Like caring professions are the professions that are the most forming in our society, teachers, Mm. nurses, therapists, all of these things and we can see from how we pay them where we have them as our value. Right. Yeah. Um, and we that also saw something. I
0: mean no no more obviously than during COVID. Those three professions yes. for sure. Um they didn't get to take the time off that many of us did or, or to That's shut That's Exactly down. right. Uh, they're yeah. so vital. Yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So something about my faith really does inform this concept of yeah. of 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 work. And it's to me, it is ultimately also not about just building my 401k or my superannuation, or just how can I get the, you know, how can I close every single pay gap and, and whatnot? Even though I want that in the broader sense, I want that. I want mm-hmm. that justice to be served in our society because mm-hmm. it's often women who are on the margins who are the, the, who are the victims of its injustice the most, yeah. right? Yeah. So I want that. But I also want a society where serving work can be valued. And if I don't have that society, I'm still going to value it and prize it with yeah. myself and with other people around me.
0: Yeah. I I like that. And I also, I want to sort of add my own, maybe not ground rule, but a foundational sort of aspect of this conversation, which is most of what we're going to be talking about is is observation and anecdotal, and it is not a statement on morality that one is better than the other. I think we have to do our very best in this conversation to remove comparison altogether. Um, to say that, you know, um, so I was just thinking as I heard you say that, and, and I know you're, I know this is not what you were saying, but, humble and, um, caring work. Just like you mentioned, there are professions in which you can find that, that, yeah. that your faith can inform also the reason you go. Um, even if you have the privilege to stay home, um, yeah, and, and things like that. So this isn't it, it, just like you said, I love the way you tied that off, which is, um, we had this conversation when we talked about uh, on the abortion episode, access versus yeah. my own personal decision. Yeah. Um, what you want globe, you know, what you want to be the broader societal circumstance, which is equal pay, um, you know, fairness in the workplace, no sexual harassment, no penalizing for having babies, things like that. Um, and then, and then in that environment, every woman and every family and every person can make their own decision on what's best for them in their life. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Because I think I think even in societies where they have tried to close that gap the most. Because we lived in Sweden for two years, mm-hmm. and Sweden is very equitable in that way. I mean, I remember my husband; he gave he had he had was required to give raises to women on maternity leave, like while they are on maternity leave for that year, they're what? getting a raise. Yeah, year. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, more than often more than a year, but but a year there's no child care available for babies wow. until a year, until they're a year old. Like there's nothing unless you were going to hire a private nanny, which was almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. So all parents are at home in some way mom or dad or some kind of combination of the two in that first year. Wow. But I'll tell you something Kelly. So in Sweden, the statistic that I heard is that 98 point something percent of all parents are in some kind of employment with a part time or full time work after one. Wow. But every mom I knew still struggled with the same questions that mm-hmm. every mom I know in other places. Am I getting enough time? Am I doing enough? Am I this enough? Am I, you know, all mm-hmm. those same questions were still there. And this is in a system where childcare is totally affordable. It's a sliding mm-hmm. scale. The max you would pay. And this is for people in the absolute tippy top income bracket. I think mm-hmm. it was $120 a week. Um, and so and that's for 40 hours of child, yes. Wow. so Yes. So depending on your income is what you paid. So everyone gets the same level of childcare at your childcare center you're all paying a different amount mm. right um and this is with quality right so ratio of yeah. one adult to five kids quality childcare it's really more like preschool actually yeah. even for for the 1 year olds to you know to 6 or 7 year olds mm-hmm. anyway and so but even in that situation, the women I knew, mm-hmm. um, they, they didn't have the barriers that most women I know, say in the US or here do in Australia, but they still struggled with a lot of the same questions. And this is also with partners mm-hmm. who did near 50-50 at home,
0: right? Yeah. And so I'm glad you I, said I think, that because it can be tempting yeah. to think, uh, like when you said that about Sweden, I thought... God, we are so broken here. It was literally my first thought. And, well, you are. And that it would solve, yes. But that I mean, <laughs> okay. like Sweden would solve it, sort of. Like going to Sweden, that sounds great. Or when I hear about socialized healthcare, I'm like, oh, that's the answer to everything. And there's problems within each of those societies as well. And yeah. what you're speaking to really is a more internal sort of yes struggle of, of what is the value of my work. So that's sort of where I wanted to... Yes. That was your first post um, yeah. in this series was um, what is the value of my work? And um, so I want to just open it up to you and let you talk about yeah. that that question you explored.
1: Yeah, that was such a personal question for me because I think so much of the work that I've done as a writer and podcaster has been done for free. Um, and so it's it's a hard, it's a really hard thing. Like it's a very, it's a deep pain point for me this sense mm. of what does it take to do like what is the value of my work that's literally what it means like yeah. is it dollars that creates value is it who decides um what is valuable and what's not so on the mm. one hand I have professional opportunities available to me now that I mm. never did before because I've done all this unpaid work outside of my life as a, right. as a mom um and all of my paid work has come because of the unpaid work that I've done. Um, so it's open doors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of questions there. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of questions when I look at my home, my kids, the sense of, like, what is the value of all of this? So I, yeah. I don't know what else to say about that um, other than, yeah, that it's a painful thing to
0: talk it, about. Yeah, I, it is. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it, too, because what it made me think of was I I couldn't be doing this podcast if I hadn't, um, been doing that, been on y'all's show. And you paid me uh, way more than I was, you know, would have asked for or was expecting. I, I would have done it for free. I told you that. Um, and you, it was important to you and Jess to make sure whoever you invited was paid for their time and their work. Um, and, uh, and then, but what that birthed in me was, a love for the art form, a love for the medium, a love for the engagement, the service, the public ministry and witness of it all. And and now not only am I doing it for free, it's caught it costs me a lot of money with you know websites and subscriptions yeah. and things you have to buy, and you know this. Um yeah. also I had to buy a Mac so I could edit the, <laughs> edit the audio. Yeah. Um and so so I guess wh- one of the things maybe we could talk about is how do you define value? Um, what it, are we talking about? Monetary value, or are we talking about? Because I would be tempted to hear that question and go, "Okay, it, it, let's say I had to hire somebody to do these things. What would it cost to hire yeah. them?" And that's the value of my work. But there's a deeper value, right? So much, yeah. You're you're
1: absolutely right, and I think that's why the question was, in some ways, so multi layered mm-hmm. for yeah. me. Um, Because I think on the one hand, our society is always training us to think about value in terms of economic output, right? Mm -hmm. And that's capitalism. So Mm -hmm. it's all about those dollars. But then it's also a privilege to be able to ignore that, right? And that's not something I want to take for granted either. Um, But yeah, there are so many other things. Like I value deeply the fact that, um, that what I've been able to create and make, uh, lands in people's lives in a place that is of usefulness to them and freedom to them. That is yes. incredible. Like what yes. a gift to do that. And that has That's tremendous vocation. value. That's that is. Well, and I think that's the that's the flip, that's the other side of this, right? Our society is always training us to think in terms of work as a job, right? Mm-hmm. And I think part of the Christian formation part of this is the conversation of vocation and calling. But sometimes that feels like a real privilege to talk about that too, right? Yes. Because this idea of vocation and calling, like who gets to be in a vocation or a calling? Is it, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and so I, I I, do feel like there's the reason I can persist in doing this is because of this sense of calling and vocation. Yeah. I feel very much like I'm exactly in what I was created to do by mm-hmm. God um, and gifted to do and, and all of that. And so that is very, that's deeply fulfilling. That's personally fulfilling mm-hmm. and that's valuable too. So it's complicated. I think so much of this conversation about work and women and work is also about access to qualifications and training.
0: Mm.
1: Right? Like that's mm-hmm. a that's a big part of it. And yeah. And who gets to study and who gets to study what and how and when. And then you need time and then you need resources because it's not just about the study itself. It's also Mm. about access to books and research and libraries Mm. and internships and so many different things. And but this is where for me, like, again, the worldview thing plays in like how are we looking out for all those other people? Are we constantly just privileging the same people? when you are in a position of access, how are you creating that access for other people yeah. to be able to live their calling, their vocation, etc I think it became not good enough for me to realize I got to stay at home with my kids lucky, lucky me or Mm. I'm going to have, it wasn't enough. If I followed it through to the end, like, oh, if everything works out and I have a great time staying at home with my kids and I genuinely love, you know, all the fruit of that, it just wasn't enough for me that mm-hmm. only I got that I got to do that. What I wanted yeah. to know is how am I voting in a way that expands this access mm-hmm. for other women? How are we donating money to organizations maybe that that are enabling women to do things yeah. like this or whatever, like whatever yeah. that looks like in your society? Um,
0: you yeah. absolutely live that because you. I, I have been a direct beneficiary of the fact that you had you were at a table that I was not at and you pulled up a – you called me. I didn't have – I don't have a platform. and Nobody knows me. I'm not an author. Um, and called and said, we want your perspective on the podcast. And from that made connections with other people and now getting to do this. Um, and the – I have seen you live that out with in multiple stories and in just ways that I've seen you engage with people. It reminds me a lot of Rachel Held Evans. That's the that was the overarching theme, of, you know, of people sharing memories of her after she passed. Was, um, she, if she was inside a door, she held it open for anyone else, um, and she always mentioned names in rooms where those names were being considered. Her, she would leverage her own yeah. privilege, and uh, and access to get other people in the door um, whose voices may not have been considered in those circles before. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that's a really important part of this conversation. Yeah. The other really quickly, I know we've touched on a lot of this, how does capitalism form us? And mm. I just want to note that it's so sometimes it's hard for us to even realize that's what we're in because it is the waters Mm. we're swimming in. It's Mm. the air we're breathing. Um, Mm. Many, if not most of us have never lived in another type of society. We've never lived in a communist Mm. society or a fully socialist society or something like that. Um, And so, especially the listenership of this show. So, yeah. um, So it's hard. Sometimes we may not even realize how it's forming us, but if you could take maybe a few minutes and just, how would you answer that? That broad, but yeah, important I think question. for me,
1: this question just landed in me.
0: Mm.
1: And it, for me, out of everything I pondered for this series of women I work, this is the one that has really stuck because it has made me realize like it helped me to wake up to the fact that I'm drinking this water and it's doing something to me. Mm -hmm. And I I say that not because I'm like overthrow the system, we need anarchy, we need socialism. That's not what Mm -hmm. I mean at all. Mm -hmm. But what I mean is that what does it mean to live out my faith, to be formed as a person who follows Jesus and wants to be formed by Jesus Mm -hmm. in a society that is actively forming me because of these values of capitalism. Yeah. And it is actively forming us. So everything about what we think, about productivity, about stuff, about the value of our work, I mean, everything Mm -hmm. is formed by these capitalistic ideas. And because capitalism is so wedded to white evangelicalism and Mm -hmm. really christianity not just evangelicalism like white christianity Mm -hmm. um it's in our faith like it's in our faith you know how do we grow as a christian i'm going to go buy a resource to help me grow as a christian Mm -hmm. this idea would be foreign to early christians Mm -hmm. like that's a foreign idea. Like how do you grow as a Christian? You are connected to community. <laughs>
0: Thank That's God Paul didn't have you... an agent and sell his chapters, no. his, and his epistles. No. no, not just buying yeah. them, but selling them. I mean, there's, I think yeah. there's both sides of the conversation. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So I think for me, what really, and, and I'm sure this is just the beginning of this exploration. Mm-hmm. I kind of went, okay, I'm existing in this capitalistic system. I'm not necessarily wanting that system to be overthrown. Mm-hmm. So what's the antidote? What is, yeah. what is it going to be? What does it mean to resist? And I think this is the question I landed on, which is what is enough?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I have Mm. to decide what is enough for me. So that can be as simple as what is enough podcast downloads for the show so that when we hit that number, I'm going to say that's the stopping point of Mm. my effort to grow our platform Ah. so that I'm not putting in more effort. Because if you don't, you're never there. You're chasing a carrot. You have to keep working. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or what is enough as far as a dollar number? Hmm. What's enough? Like, okay, is it paying off the house debt? Is it having no debt? Is it living without debt? I have no idea. So every mm-hmm. for everybody, that's going to be different. Yeah. But I think this is the beginning of finding an answer to capitalism's formation. Mm-hmm. Is to say, when I have decided what is enough, when I hit that, it's enough.
0: Yeah. And I stop. I, I appreciate that. It reminds me of all of the... collective freak out what it seemed like the collective freak out of the business world a little bit post the early days of COVID when quiet quitting quote unquote started becoming a thing Um, which really what it meant was people were reevaluating their priorities they didn't want to burn out in an office 10 to 12 hours a day including their commute they wanted they valued time with their family because they saw how precious it is and how fragile it is yes Um, and And that the time of really hard reset, though it was, had, you know, awful, I wouldn't have chose it that way, of course, um, I think had massive, massive impacts on the, on just sort of the business world in general, the way companies function, hybrid work, fully remote work, um. I told, I told somebody the other day, I am such a better employee that I work full time from home because yep. I don't commute anywhere. I'm not have to wear hard pants. I can yep. run an errand <laughs> if I need to. Um, I'm not penalized for the, for the fact that I work fast. And so if I finish all my work, it looks like I'm just sitting around if I'm in an office. Right. But I have integrity. Right. And so, you know, all of these things. Um, and so quiet quitting was uh, sort of, I think... a at least millennial and Gen Z, if not more, j- just our way of saying like, we well, are going to have some boundaries here. You can have what you pay me for. You can have my eight hours, but you can't have my whole life. You can't have my peace. Wow. You can't have my, uh, my safety. You can't have uh, my sleep. Uh, you can't have my time with my family, all of it. Uh, yeah. and, and so I will give you what the market will bear for what you're paying me, we'll have a a more contractual rather than covenantal relationship, which I think it had been for so long. Well, that was my conversation with Debbie. The first part of it, at least. We spent about 20 more minutes talking all about MLMs, their ubiquity in the American church, what problem they are offering people to solve for the women who sign up, and how that aligns with what the reality turns out to be. Here is a sneak peek, couple of minutes of that part of our conversation. It is, uh, I think there's different messaging also for moms, Absolutely. Than there are for single women or married with no children. That those those people are still being approached. We're still being approached. Sure. It's usually to buy. The My. messaging when <gasps> we're being we're being sold to is to buy the product, not to sell the product. Usually, because our <laughs>
1: this spheres. <is> so interesting.
0: <laughs> our spheres may be smaller because we don't have kids preschool. We don't have day plays. Wow. We don't have um, husbands work people. Also because. Um per, perhaps the our budget may be more limited for sign up costs, which is usually exorbitant, also because uh any trend like if we if their messaging to us can't be, don't you want to provide for your kids? <laughs> if you're single, you I already just, usually have to work outside the home.
1: Oh my gosh, I am so fascinated by this. so this is wow, so they go to singles for buying. And they go to married women. And I don't kids know that there's some type of playbook saying that.
0: It's been yeah. my experience that oh, my that married makes friends so
1: much sense. get
0: recruited to sell, and I I get like, hey, will you have the party at your house so people can buy more products? Or because uh, they like think that. you're but,
1: connected to this network of people who have a dispensable income.
0: Yeah, but a smaller network than married people,
1: right? but they need because those I don't people have with the, the kids dispensable and the husbands. Yeah.
0: I have yeah. you can have my space cuz no one else is in it. Right. You can have my you can come to my house cuz I'm it's not going to mess up my family life. Also uh, you know that can be your contribution to the business part and then you can buy products. I'll give you a discount on the products. <laughs> oh. And then, oh, and I then love usually married so women get much. get targeted for or or Uh, approached to sell the products because you can be a mompreneur That part of our conversation is available only in Patreon as part of the full uncut interview with Devi, which is about 25 more minutes to it than what was included here on this episode. To hear the full interview as well as get access to all the other perks exclusive to our partner community, go to patreon.com forward slash let it matter pod and join us for just $4 a month US. Now back to the show. My thanks again to Debbie for joining me today. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Debbie underscore rights, W R I T E S, or the podcast she co hosts, Where Do We Go From Here, is at Where Do We Go Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. The series of posts and Instagram stories Debbie did on this topic are on her personal Instagram and are saved to a highlight as well. I'll link to those in the show notes too. Um, before we go, if you could please take just a moment to pause this episode before the benediction and hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening. And especially if you are listening in Apple podcasts, if you could leave a rating and a review, it is such a big help for all the algorithm things and we would really appreciate it. Join me next week as we continue to make space for honor and name what matters. And now, according to our little tradition as we close out, I offer you this benediction from Shannon K. Evans' book, Feminist Prayers for My Daughter. In Shannon's book, she uses the language of my daughter often in these prayers, and so I have adapted the language to include all of us as women who hear this prayer and sit under it. Let's pray. Oh, you who see all, you see your daughters. You see our labor, our commitment, our passion. You see our skill, our ability, our expertise. You see our paycheck, and you see the paychecks of our male colleagues. Equalize them, I pray. May your daughters receive fair wages for their hard work. May every daughter receive fair wages for her hard work. May we reject the passive acceptance of, quote, a man's world and instead demand that justice be served. May we collectively settle for nothing less. The world we are passing on to our daughters still bends towards our sons. All these years and still the wage gap persists. Nevertheless, may they persist. May we persist. May justice persist. Amen.